If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And if you don't have it in book form, hopefully you have it in electronic form. If not, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can pull them out. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And to me, it's an exciting passage to have someone preach from because it really twists my mind to understand what this really says. Starting with verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time. Like a fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap, so people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. I have observed that this also is wisdom under the sun, and it is significant to me. There was a small city with few men in it. A great king came against it and surrounded it and built large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The calm words of the wise are heeded, more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of those thanks be to God where we stop and say thanks be to God because we never could have figured that out on our own. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have written that. A much more of a, uh, if you do this, and then you get this. And that's how, uh, that's how life is. That's how it works. I mean, I know there's exceptions, but majority of times, if you do A, you get B, and if you do C, you get D. That's just how it works. You can like it or not like it, but that's just the way it is. And then God comes in and he speaks, uh, just like to Job and his friends. And there were, in, in that, Job had four friends, and there were three older fools and then a young fool. But if you read the book of Job, Job was foolish too. He was still righteous, but he, he, said, he, he said, I've spoken wrongly. But it's pretty much, isn't it simple? Like, isn't, doesn't the Bible come to us and this is how it is? And so, therefore, let's go with it. And the answer is what the Bible keeps pointing us to, and this has been a journey for me my entire life, what the Bible keeps pointing me to are not ideas, although there are ideas, but it keeps pointing me to someone else, not something else. And, and that's why it really does, the Bible answers one of the most difficult questions for me. Um, I know what people say. Um, do you think it's possible to have too much of a good thing? Right? The statement is... You never have too much of a good thing. And that's the way I think. You can never have too much cheese. You just can't. I mean, honestly, like I get it. Um, can you have too much cheese? And the answer is no. You can't have too much cheese. I remember um, learning about eggs when I was a little, little boy and then trying them because my parents liked eating eggs. And I just thought those things taste terrible. There's really not a lot of deliciousness in them. 
Um, sure, I mean, I like them in cakes and cookies and those kinds of things, but uh, I, I love eggs when you would mask the taste with other things. There was a point in my life where my mom went back to work, and so my sister, my youngest sister and I did, did a lot of the cooking kind of for supper, and I just remember thinking to myself, I'm going to figure out this omelet thing. And so my way of making an omelet, because I guess you have to have eggs in order to have omelets, okay? I remember thinking to myself, but I can make it in such a way where you don't have to taste the eggs. And that's how I would make an omelet. With lots and lots and lots of ham and lots and lots and lots of pepperoni and four or five hot dogs. I mean, what makes a good omelet but hot dogs, right? And, and then you add all the onions and the tomatoes and then one or two eggs. We need something to hold this hot dog together. And then what do you do? You bathe it in cheese, smother it in cheese. These beautiful verbs that describe cheese. I just love it. Can you have too much of a good thing? No. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's like you can't have too much of a good thing, and, and that's the way that I always was. I mean, this is why I would try to tell, like, my, my, my wife. I would say, babe, like, I love you, and you can't have too much of a good thing, so I want to be here all the time. I want to be with you all the time. Let's get together. We should stay together. We should. And so I just thought, a little bit of Andrea, a lot of Andrea, a little bit of Jim, a lot of Jim. And could you ever get tired of me? The answer is no. You can't have too much of a good thing. And so I would take things. For those of you that know me, you know this is a crippling problem that I have, is I have a very difficult time saying no. And I pat myself on the back to good things. Like to good things. Friendship. Family. Can you ever have too much? No. Hmm. The older I get, maybe. Maybe you can have too much of a good thing. As I get older, I'm trying to become a better cook. And so there was, you know, the days in my life where just lots of cheese, seven different kinds of cheese was the answer. And, and then I began to, to meet people that knew more than I did about cooking. And they taught me this fascinating concept. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> that these foods were intended, I think by God, to go together. Like, here's an interesting concept. They were meant to complement one another, not smother. Which explains my omelets and my marriage. <laughs> Compliment or smother? And the answer is compliment. By the way, I made a great omelet yesterday. <laughs> and it had less cheese. And I get the jokes about bacon. Can you have too much? Ha, ha, ha. No. <laughs> but you actually can. Like, truly, you can. Like, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you know when to say when. But, but like, a, like an educated taste. Like a, a, a refined taste knows when to say too much. I've really struggled with that my whole life. And I'm not talking about cheese. If I had to pick like a virtue, I, I love the idea of wisdom. One of the reasons why we're doing this summer of wisdom, I hope it's been a blessing to you. I've had three or four people say to me just this morning, man, I've just loved this series. It's been one of my favorite series that this church has done. And I agree, it really has been. 
I, I think it's been great for a lot of reasons. Number one, all the different voices, I think, has been a real blessing to us. I think all the different texts and realizing a consistent message of God's word coming to us from Ecclesiastes and from Proverbs and from Job and from Matthew and from James. Old Testament, New Testament. This is who God is. This is what it means to be wise in the world. And I, I, think, I think we're starving for it because we're, we're, we're getting kind of to the end. And, and, I, and I don't know there'll be a new beginning and a new journey, but for the cliche, the tweetableness of life that seems wise, but in the end kind of leaves us like a, like a meal with empty calories, lacking and wanting more. Smothered by things instead of learning how to complement. Instead of something in excess, even good things in excess, realizing, no, that was probably a dumb idea. You know, I, I think as a culture, and I have to confess, this is me. If I didn't overreact, I don't know how I would know how to act. And wisdom comes along and says, I want to help you out with this. I want to give you a way, and it's from God. We couldn't have figured this out, Jeff, you and I, and get the smartest minds. We could come to some of these conclusions. Don't get me wrong, but we still wouldn't know how to piece it together, I don't think. And so when God says it, he doesn't say, hey, I'm just one of you. Let's kind of figure this out together. No, even when he says, come, let us reason together, okay, Isaiah 1, come, let us reason together. What he is saying is, I'm going to let you see my playbook, and I want you to come think it through with me, but we're not on the same, we're not on the, I guess we're on the same team, but, but we're not like, we're not the same kind of player. He has invited us to be a part of this. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like just wicked and terrible and ugly, I will make them, I will make them right. I will, make, I will make good from this. I will redeem you. And, and so when he says, come, let us think it together, it usually leaves us going, I don't get it. Maybe, brother, if we're gonna be honest, Jeff, we need a greater sense of humility when we come to this text. And so we wanted to have this message as we get ready. We have two more. We're going to learn about some of the concerns about anger and how the Bible speaks about that, some wisdom stuff. And then we'll end kind of where we begin, which is on the, 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 the fear of the Lord and what that ultimately means. So we'll end at the end of Ecclesiastes. But we thought this would be a good point after having a lot of messages on wisdom and a lot of repeated ideas. Let's be wiser. Let's be more wise. Let's, let's commit to have a deeper understanding. Let's apply this biblical truth to our lives and in our relationships. Let's become wiser. Let's become wiser. Then all of a sudden, the teacher interrupts us in chapter 9 of this book and says, just so we're all clear, even wisdom has its limits. What? That's hard for us to stomach. But what the Bible actually teaches us is this. Every good thing has its place and its limits. Every good thing has its place and its limits. And honestly, my personality, the time in which I live, doesn't understand that. No, 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 no. If it's good, then it's good. And more of a good thing is a better thing. And so we want to take the things that you and I value, that we selectively choose, and push it right to the very front. 
And this is the most important thing, and you can never have too much of a really good, most important thing, can you? And I'll tell you, have you ever been trapped? That's a good point. Can you ever have too much of that? I don't think, I think it's like bacon. You can never have too much. And the Bible says, yeah, you can. Every good thing. It's interesting. The book of Genesis, if you were to really understand it, especially reading it in the original language, it describes God putting limits on things. Here is the day. That's a good thing. And here is its limits. It's called night. Oh, that's a, I like night. That's a, that's a good thing. But then here are its limits. And he sets it. We, we, we can sometimes read the Genesis narrative and, you know, God made the, yes, he made the world. But when you read it, it says this. And there was this water. And then he made land, which would be the place that we need to live. And he called it out. And then he set limits for land and water. You shall go no further. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Light, darkness, Land, sea, all beautiful things. Here, no further. Okay, Jim, but what about like, like the virtues, like the really, really good virtues? And I want to start with the one that means the most to me. The one that I've always been excited about and the one that just resonates in my being. One of the reasons why I love the wisdom books is because there is just something very, very, very beautiful. Now, here's the problem. Before I state it, we need to remember that the problem with all of these things don't lie in the things themselves. They reside in us. The the part that what the Bible demands that we come to terms with is this. Do you realize that you are inherently part of the problem? We're broken. Okay, listen, I I get it. I've got some problems and I've got some mistakes, but I'm generally a good person. And by the way, I don't know if the Bible would disagree with you on that. Like, I know it describes us as being terrible, 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 terrible people, but it never really says, like, we couldn't also do good things. What the Bible is describing is this deep down tendency that we have to even take good things and to make them God things And they're not God, and so they become bad things. Take good things, make them God things, and they become bad things. Nothing wrong with fruit. Oh, man, that looks good. I know God told me no, but man, that looks good. And I desire it. I desire to eat it. I desire to taste it. I desire what it will give me. And I know God said, but can you have too much of a good thing? God made it, and God made everything, and everything that God has made is what? Good. So why can't I have it? Do the math. Okay, that was wrong. (laughs) But the logic was perfect. What happened? See, the problem is is in me. And so the Bible actually says to us, and here's my favorite virtue, truth. I love the truth. 
I grew up in a church that loved to preach the truth. And everything was truth, 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 truth. And by the way, before you just go, oh, oh, those churches. I promise you, you have your own truth. And you're standing there with your hands on your hips talking about the limits of truth. Oh, is that your now your new truth? I'm just fascinated right now. And I apologize if I say it too much, but we needed a word called misinformation and malinformation. Now, we used to just call it like not true or false or a lie. But then we said, yeah, but everything's, you know, yours, mine. So we, not, we, needed, we needed new words because the truth wouldn't just go away. So you can say, oh, truth. But you do know you're probably appealing, even in your, even in your disgust, you're appealing to a deeper truth. There's no way around it. And so I, I, would, I would think about this. and You know, that's what people need. They need the truth. Like the truth, that's it, right? If it's true, then it's right. And if it's true, then it's good. And if it's true, can you ever have too much of a good thing? And so here's what I, I did to truth. I looked at it and I said, get behind me. I'm going to use you. I got a plan. I got an agenda. We're going to save the world. And I took truth and put a chain around it and kind of put it in my back pocket and then I would just go places and I would take it out and I would use it. Now, now by the way, before you go, yeah, and, and, and by the way, and you're going to appeal to some other virtue. We'll get to that one in a moment. Yeah, that's the danger of truth. And before we just mock it, can we recognize that there is an, an orderliness that comes from truth? There is a peaceableness that comes from truth. Like truth has its place. So we need to value it and recognize it. And then we need to go, maybe you shouldn't go any further. We all intuitively kind of know this. What could be better than one rule, two rules? If one rule is good, two rules are better. And if two rules are good, four rules are better. And if four rules are good, eight rules are better. Because that's what we need. That's what we need. If we just had more, more rules. Now, I know that word probably just kind of bristles against you, but I find it so fascinating that people come up with more rules about how we shouldn't have rules. Right? Not crazy. We just need more rules about having less rules. Wow. This is what legalism does. Is it just falls in love with rules. And it tries to use rules to accomplish its goal, which is the truth. Get behind me, truth. And it leaves in its wake destruction. Yep. It's the limits of truth. Grace has its limits. What? Okay, back up. No, I know grace has its limits. Here's how I know grace has its limits. Grace has its limits because when I was a professor, I had students, they would come and they would, they would give me things like papers and tests that were garbage. And then they would say, can you give me some grace? Can you give me some grace? Like, would you please be great? And I mean, I'm at a Bible college. What am I going to say? No, there's no grace here. 
What did they do? Hey, Grace, I need you. I got a chain for you, and I'm going to use you to get what I want. Now, what's funny is, is that for those of you that are grace people, you are deeply offended by those people that want to use truth, and legalism is just the worst thing in the world to you. Well, there's a cousin over here, (laughs) incredibly related. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but that's not really grace. Okay, well, then on the other side, that's not really truth. Can you have too much grace? Yes. You do it in all of your relationships. Here's what you do. If, if, if you're smart at some level, I'm not even saying you get it perfect. Here is where I'll come to, but no, no, no. Now I need to hold you accountable. And I don't know any of you that would just let me kind of walk through your life and just use the grace card and have you just go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll just let you. No, you would, at some point in time, you would just go, no, 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 stop. Grace. Do you know people that they love to take grace and put it in their pocket and marshal it around and just, it, it becomes, just like truth, it becomes a weapon to serve their, their goal. Now, it might even be a good goal. I want to find a really gracious place where all we do is just love and accept one another. And if you don't, can't get out of it, can you? And if you don't, you'll offer me grace? No. Here is where grace ends. I think that's biblical. Here is where grace ends. Love? Could love have limits? You think love could have limits? Here's one of the reasons why I know love have limits is because 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't say love is whatever you want it to be, peace out. It literally says love is this, not this. Love is this and it's not this. Love never rejoices in wickedness. So if you know, you know it's love if it does not rejoice in wickedness. That's how you know. It's got a limit. That's not love. No, no, no. Love is acceptance. Of whatever it is, by the way, that you want to accept. Because that's what love is. And what have you done? What have I done? Hey, love, I got a chain for you. And we weaponize. Do we not? Every one of us. Before you're thinking of somebody else. That's what we do. We take these beautiful virtues and we we marshal them under our command to march out ideologically. And and some of us think big picture, right? We're worried about society. And others are just trying to figure out how to get our, our, our belt to match our shoes, right? Two different kinds of people. But we're still marshaling these things, small scope, big scope. And in the end, we take these things This is what love is. This is what love does. And this is what love means. And that's why I know a lot of people that we're not paying attention at some level. And I don't mean that negatively because at some level we're all not paying attention. Like learning is realizing, I think I've probably heard this before, but I wasn't paying attention. 
I've read this text tons of times. I just don't know if I was paying attention. And this text really comes to us and says, I just want you to understand, like, I'm going to give you a lot of good stuff, but you do understand that this is good stuff and it has its limits for people like me. Because I want to take truth, I want to take grace, I want to take love, I really do, all of them, and I want to figure out a way to use them to, and I mean this for the best for all of you, to make it a better place. I really do. And I convince myself that I'm a good person, and I convince myself that what I have is right and what I have is true, and I am no different than any of Job's friends, and neither are you. Or your best case scenario, you're Job, and you're still a little bit broken. So you know what love is? Yeah, it's, it is probably more and less of what you think and me. It probably is. It's probably more and probably less. And that is why what Justin said and what Jeff said is really, really true. Um, teacher, Ecclesiastes, teacher, God, instruct me because if not, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take truth. I'm going to take grace. I'm going to take love. And I'm even going to take wisdom. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to marshal it under my control. And don't think malicious. Think well-intended. Because that's probably what we all are. And it's going to march out to accomplish the purpose that I have set for it. And that is why there is limits to wisdom and that's what this text is all about. But I want you to realize it's, it's not just wisdom that has limits. Here's how the text speaks. I want to look at verses 11 and 12 again. Here's what it says. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift because that's A plus B equals C. The fastest ones win the race. Or the battle to the strong. The strongest ones win the war. Or bread to the wise. That those who are wise, they can figure out a way to use their life in such a way to make sure that they're always fed. Or riches to the discerning. Or favor to the skillful. It's like everything is, it's, it's this does not always equal this. Well then what's the point of wisdom? Have you ever gotten mad at the Bible and you've thought to yourself, what's the point? Hey, Jesus, what's the point? You told me to do this, and then I did it, and it didn't work out for me. What's the point? Like, that is Job. But I would argue that's every person in the Bible. You don't think Joseph woke up? <laughs> what is going on? I've done nothing wrong. How did I end up here? This makes no sense to me. Daniel, I don't get this. Moses, I don't understand. Joshua, why? Every one of the prophets, this doesn't make sense over and over and over. Now hear me, there's a bit of a sense to it. Yes, I understand the world is broken and I understand that it needs God and I understand, but I thought if we just took, you know, a little bit of truth and a little bit of grace and a little bit of love and a little bit of wisdom that we could take these things and, and use them and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, we would manipulate them in such a way that we could, we could create order and control in our lives. Isn't that what the Bible is about? That you and I would work really hard and we would understand it and we would take all of these things and then we would get our lives back. 
we're just using God to get there. Is that bad? Is it bad to use God to get what you want? Actually, obviously by the way I said that, the answer is what? Yes. We just don't realize we're doing it. The God of truth or the God of love, the God of grace. Honestly, if we're going to be honest in this room right now, there are way too many of us that love truth more than God. And you love love more than God. And so when God does something that you don't think is loving, you're out and you're going to write me a great paper about why. Yeah, I was ready to write that paper on truth when I just, when it just seemed not, weirdly enough, it didn't seem as mechanical enough. I wanted predictability in God. My issue happened to be truth. And when he stepped out of line, I didn't know what to do with him. The race doesn't go to the fastest, and the war doesn't go to the strongest. Here's what it says. I find this fascinating. It says this, rather, time and chance happens to them all. What? (laughs) That is so unbiblical. What do you mean time and chance happen to them all? There's no such thing as time and... Now, listen, I know that they exist, but the Bible doesn't teach that we are just surrendering to time and chance. I don't think that's what the teacher is saying. Hear me, I know that he said that, but the teacher is very aware of what is controlling time and chance. What he's really saying is, even though you want to manipulate it, and even though you are pretty sure you know better than God... He is not under your control. And he gives us a preview to the book of Job, and he does not answer to us. Right? I mean, it's, 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 it may, maybe, maybe in, in, in our little world, it's easy for us to see those people who take qualities like love or grace, and they kind of make it the epitome, and then when, when they're by definition, they don't like God, they have problems. I remember a friend of mine who was pastoring a church, and I was deeply concerned about him because he was, he was kind of like me, kind of a truth guy. And I was talking to like a, a mutual friend, and I, and I said to him about so-and-so, I said, um, I'm concerned about him. Are, are you? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, he's one of those guys. I love this. He's one of those guys that needs a smaller and smaller group of friends, you know, because he just doesn't trust them anymore. And he's going to get a smaller and smaller group of friends until it's just him and God, and he's not too sure about God anymore. And what the teacher is giving us in Ecclesiastes is not a, what, what doesn't matter, flip a coin. No, 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 because the next story says there was this really, really powerful king. And you think he's going to win. Hold on. No. There's a really, really poor man who is wise, and his wisdom is going to trump the king. <gasps> I love those stories. And then in the end, nobody's going to care. I hate the story. Do you love the story or hate the story? Yes. I love hate the story. 
I have a friend who knows the Bible well. And he lives among a group of people who love certain parts of the Bible well. And it just makes no sense to them that God would send a Messiah who would come and then be rejected by his people. Who would live a sinless and perfect life. And that God wouldn't like protect him or that God wouldn't validate him. That God would allow him. And again, we have the whole, he claims to be his son, the son of God issue too. But it just doesn't make sense to me that, that God would send his son to come to this earth and to live a perfect life. In the end, to only be rejected by his people, the ones that he came to save, and then die. Like, none of that makes sense. I know. But it's true. And this is what God loves to do. And hear me, it's not like he likes to confuse us. I think the confusion comes from our brokenness. So we see God different. I look at God through my brokenness as low, like a window pane that's been shattered. God, the perfect object. But I can only see him through this lens of a distorted truth because that's all I really have. I'm not saying perfectly distorted, but distorted love, distorted grace, distorted wisdom. I think most of us just need to come to terms with the fact that more often than not, we like to say, you know what I'd do if I were God? No, tell me. (laughs) Mess it up is what you'd do. Morgan Freeman couldn't pull it off. Let's be honest. Maybe that's why Rachel nailed it. When she said, she goes to the the Beatitudes. and, And this was kind of at the very crux of her message. I don't want to read all of them, but I want us to just take a look at what, how, how we can understand there are limits even to the greatest of things. Jesus, the one speaking, basically said, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Notice the verb tense. So it's about mourning? No, it's about mourning and being comforted. Okay, can, can I stop mourning now? No, not yet. But you will be. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Now? No. Sit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But I want to see him now. I want to be comforted now. I want... And God says, I am all of these things. And I have to continually come to terms with the fact that I need to want God more than the truth. And hear me, they're not antithetical. But one is greater than the other. One finds its meaning in the other. One finds its definition in the other. One finds its manifestation, personification in the other. And it is not God serves truth. 
What God says is true. Deal with it. What God does is gracious. Deal with it. Who God is and what God does is love. Deal with it. Who God is is wisdom. Embrace it. That's why I end up loving this text. I mean, through kind of like a side door. I kind of like the fact. I mean, I don't know. Maybe because I think I like it because it really describes the world I live in. And I know some of us want to go, yep, time and chance happened to them all. No, see you next year in philosophy. Nope, not that one. I think what the teacher is really saying is God is in charge of it all. And he has a plan and a purpose. And he answers to himself and no one else. So as much as we want wisdom, I pray that you will want something more. Because wisdom has its limits. As much as you want love and to be loved, it's a beautiful thing. I pray that you don't find it. Could anybody find love in the wrong place? Uh, yeah, it's called junior high, high school, and college. Fair? And maybe that's why Jesus said so clearly, I am. I love this statement, I am. What? I'm the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, you wanted life? No, but I am life. No, no, no. I want it without you. It doesn't exist. I want truth without you. It doesn't exist. I want love without you. It doesn't exist. Um, I, we probably don't need to change the slide, but I, I guess I probably, I, 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 I misstated something. Earlier on, I said every good thing has its place and its limits. That's not true. Because Jesus <laughs> has no limits and his place is everywhere. And you know how I know this? I love this meal. We, we gather around not some disconnected meal from what we have just studied. But our gathering together is not that you and I might know the truth, although it is very, very helpful. Or know love, although there's no way without. I mean, it's, hear me, it's all of those things together. And then it's, I guess I've been thinking about this sermon a lot. I guess what we need to remember is that we have limits. And maybe that's why, one of the many reasons why, Jesus did not say, Anybody want some truth bread? Anybody want some love bread? And so we don't worship. We don't even worship faith. We worship Jesus. And so he took bread, which represented something, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is really important. This is me. Like I give me to you. Do you want me? Do you want a friend? You need a friend. You need some truth in your life. That's what you need. Jesus said, without any apologies, 
You need me. And I am here for you. So we take him and we eat. And we take him, his blood given for us, and we drink. And now we stand and we worship not ideas but the creator of the universe. We don't worship a set of principles but the one who died and redeemed us. So let us sing and worship well this morning.